right, so this is Jenny, and um, we are back at it with our Love Rice family. Welcome, everybody. We have a really cool uh, a guest with us today, and of course, Dr. Skinner's here as well, uh, who's the director over at Addo. And I'm Jenny Gessel. I'm an intern in Arizona, becoming a therapist. In fact, just I want to let everybody in the world know I'm graduating this week. So. Give me some high fives and some pumps up. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Anyway, um, so we have we have Michael Blair here, and Michael Blair is a marriage and family therapist. Um, he's with BlairCounselingAndCoaching.com, and he's in Sterling, Utah. And he's got some interesting lo looks and takes at betrayal trauma and the treatment of betrayal trauma. So we're going to dig into that a little bit today. In fact, um, Michael Blair, you want to say hi hello to the hello audience? Bloom. Thank you. Thank you. So as you know, um, you know, betrayal trauma is really when someone experiences a fracture in their, um, their connected person, spouse, most particularly is who we're working with normally here. And, um, and that is incredibly painful. Um, so tell me a little bit about your process. When someone walks into your office with these symptoms, these feelings, where do you go? Basically, it depends on the situation and who comes in. Some people want to come in and just really share from everything that's going on inside. So we listen for a while and just draw that out. Come, you know, other people don't want to say anything at all. They want to be just quiet, yeah. sit there and cry. Um, but it depends on the severity and where they're at in their progress and, and situation. I invite them to take early on um, what we call the dissociative assessment um, red flag it helps us to measure how injured people really are. And so tell me a little bit about this idea, this dissociative assessment that you have. What does that exactly mean? That, you know, we're talking to our um, audience out here who are, who are, you know, maybe not versed in therapy language. So tell me what that looks like, feels like. What, what is that? It feels like, it looks like all the symptoms we went down through here. Mm -hmm. All of those symptoms come are coming up and hitting them or many of them are coming up and are present for them, especially as they've told their story and they review the history of some of that story. And I can tell from looking through those scores, the higher they are in certain areas, the more likely they are to be qualified as a, a diagnostic, if you will, of dissociative, which simply means that they have stored inside of them pain that isn't coming out and they're just suffering from feeling that pain over and over and over again in their lives. Uh, this is, yeah, this is kind of what I was getting at there is like, what does dissociative mean? It means I've got all this pain in me yep. and it keeps coming up and I can't move on from it. Yeah. It, and it, unfortunately it comes up often when I least expect it. Right. We, 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 we respond in ways that feel out of control. Doc, Doc you have something you want to say there? Yeah, I was, I was going to add to that. When a person's truly in a disassociative state, they, they really, they may separate. There may be parts of them where they're not, they're not attending or seeing even some parts of them. They're not there. And so uh, the reality is, is as we disassociate, and, and truth is, is when we, we can all do this. So this isn't, you know, we all in some ways may disassociate, but when we're in a highly emotional state, we can protect ourselves by separating ourselves out from the pain. That, that's yeah. one uh, way that this happens. So when you talk with a client that's betrayed, it's very, very common for them to say, I don't remember what happened here. Mm -hmm. 
right? And, and that would be a perfect example of it was so emotionally intense that they just checked out. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So anyway, I think that's a great uh, assessment that you're talking about. Yeah, it, it's uh, very revealing and, and revealing very early for them to go through and identify those feeling states. And they're surprised oftentimes, oh my gosh, I, I didn't know I felt that, that bad about this and about that, that I was disassociating in all these ways and mm-hmm. disconnecting. And so then they, they identify, oh, well, I guess I do have some things I could work on here, don't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in layman's terms, I think it's just going through the emotions. It's right. feeling numb. It's, you know, ever driven a car somewhere and then realized, wait, did I just drive my car here? I don't even uh-huh. remember. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you laugh, All the Doc. Time. All the time. <laughs> I, I know it's a scary my... thing. <laughs> well, you ever, well, have you ever driven your car and got to work and you thought, I'm here. Where was I? <laughs> huh. Anyway, so yeah, yeah. I don't know what you want to call that. That's Dr. Skinner's disassociative state of driving. DVD. <laughs> Sadly, I think we all experience that. And so I think that goes to show we all do need to check out once in a while. Like I think too, it's normal, right? You spend all day at work or doing whatever you do. You come home, you zone out on Netflix or whatever. That's you just taking your your break it's normal to want to do that but in a traumatic experience it becomes you know a, an issue where it comes up again and again and like you're saying michael it's just this it's a it becomes a problem and they well, can't seem to get past it it can interrupt uh, us emotionally physically spiritually relationally uh, and almost and very spontaneously when we least expect it so it becomes very problematic in our partner or our neighbors or our friends or whoever's around us, they don't know what's going on inside of us. And so we begin to wonder who we are and we get, feel lost and we lost, lose belonging, lose a lot of our the places we used to hold on to don't, don't seem to be there anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like the way you describe that. You know, the, the places we used to hang on to. You know, in some of my language, I would say the places I felt grounded, the places I felt safe, the places I felt like I could be me, I can no longer hold on to. Yes. So it's almost like, um, you know, now that I'm 71 years old, <laughs> I used to be pretty stable and I could climb that rock. Oh my gosh, I go to climb the rock now and it's like, <gasps> I'm going to fall off in my, on my head and it's just a pebble that big, you know, it's not that not very big. Mm-hmm. It's like, what happened to me? And so I reconditioned myself hopefully to a better place. And I know how to do some of those things to get myself on balance again. And that's what we do here is figure out we have some ways to get on balance. This is, I think this is the hopeful part, right? Because when we get into this painful place and everything feels like chaos, the question that's always going through our heads is, can I survive this? Will I be okay? Can I heal? Is there a way out of this? Is there a way through this? And so I'd like to hear a little bit from you about, um, you talked about a guided imagery that you like to use to help people soften the pain and come back to a space where they can actually live there. Well, there's one, more, one more piece I want to share. We, okay. I, I like to set goals with people. And so we align the goals and then, I, it's you know it's the the challenge going into the I go through a relaxation it's called a progressive muscle relaxation which is starting with your feet working to your head uh, and that's the first step and then we do a visualization at the beach which has been carefully written and it's a ten ten uh, from the top of a cliff down a path 
from 10 down to one. So mm -hmm. by the time we go through those two pieces, they're really in a very relaxed state of mind. And they're usually, um, and I can go ahead and transition them to be able to connect to the inner mind. And so the conscious mind takes a break. We prepare them to come to a place where they can turn on an inner vacuum cleaner. And the vacuum cleaner is set up to vacuum up everything that they're ready to release, and they do. It's not usually everything the first time, maybe 40%, but it's a lot. And so they vacuum up a lot of that stuff and they then delete it. It's then deleted in the receptacle in the vacuum cleaner. Then there's a process of externalizing their stories with feeling that goes on also inside of this particular piece. And that's pretty major difference making to that point, but the whole process really sets them up to do that effectively. It's got to be set up in the right languaged way. And so that's what happens inside of, the, of this particular process. You kind of have to be there to really understand what it is. I can imagine it though, because here I come from a yoga meditation background. So I get meditation. I get the power of visualization. I've been studying EMDR. I know Dr. Skinner does EMDR. Uh -huh. um, and there is that process, which I want to ask your honest question about this, because I think it's kind of fascinating how, and can I describe it this way? Does our brain not really recognize the physical reality versus that experience in, re in releasing those emotions? Am I describing that in the right way? I'm not sure. I'll, maybe I can translate. I'm not sure. Translate. Give me your <laughs> thoughts. This is something oh, I've really I been thinking about. Is it's, it's really cool how your brain can meditate on something, guided imagery, EMDR, and it can release pain in a very real, visceral way. Um, but it's yeah. really just imagined in your mind the way you kind oh, of process that. It's, I like to say to people, you know, Pretty much everything, most of our lives are imagined anyway. I mean, the, the, the things that I believe about my wife loving me are the things I believe she loves about me and, and responds to me. And then I respond to those based on how I, I feel I should be responding to those. So anyways, bottom line is coming back around that, yeah, the conscious mind has its range of motion. Mm -hmm. And then there, from our experience, there is, that's the, that's the tip of the iceberg. Underneath the water is what we call the subconscious or the inner mind. Inner mind is a data storage area and it's, it's, uh, it needs to be directed. And it follows the, the programming that comes from experiences in life and or directed from one place or another that is trusted. And so, or mistrusted. So the inner mind carries um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if you have enough bad mixed in there, I can really turn upside down your programming. And you can become very active because a part of you has um, been abused by a husband or abused by somebody. And then it's like, it's just like my dog almost. My dog, I went out the other day to give my dog a walk. I put a, I went to put a, one of these um, choke chains around the neck and to take her out and she just cowered in the corner and was totally shaking like this why there was nothing wrong with the chain or the rope but then we remember back to when my son-in-law abused the dog and pulled her on a on that chain behind an atv to her pause with buddy that stuck in her and it's associated now 
with that chain and that rope. So if we see triggers uh, pop up, like somebody's angry or somebody doesn't treat us right or whatever the issue is, um, we might start to shivering like that too. And we don't know mm. where it's coming from, but it's coming from somewhere inside where it's stored. And we, we call that the inner mind or the subconscious area. And so, and yeah. Real, real quick on that. Yeah, Dan Siegel, uh, he talks about that as an implicit memory. Yeah. Right. So, so we, we experience it, but we might not have the language for it. And one of the things that we often find with our clients is that they, they experience things, but they might not have the language for what they're experiencing. Right? That, so that implicit memory, I, I, I feel it internally. I can't necessarily tell you why, but I feel it. Yeah. And, and frankly, many times I don't ask them to nail it down even. I just say, okay, you got the feeling? Let's work on that. Mm. You know what I mean? You know what it feels? I don't care where it mm -hmm. I don't even know what my, I don't always need to know where it even came from, but I have processes right. to get it out. That's cool to recognize that it doesn't have to be absolutely identified. Nope. That it could just be recognizing I've got this tight clench in my throat or I've got this mm -hmm. uh, sick pit in my stomach or I just feel agitated. And um, like you said, it could be tied to a bazillion memories throughout life and being able to create that emotional distance in a sense. Um, Dr. Yeah. Siener, did you have something else you wanted to say? I kind of. Yeah, the only thing I was going to add to that is, is when we work with our clients with trauma, and, and I think this is, Michael, what you're referring to here, um, it, it, we, sometimes we don't even need all of the stories. What we need to do is allow them, allow them to, whatever they're going to be doing to go through that experience, allow them to experience it. Yeah, yeah. And, and so sometimes when we do the trauma work, we might not know the story. No, we just know that they're, they're processing through it. And, and, and Michael, you're talking about this guided imagery. I had a question about that. Yeah. Um, as, you, as you work with them in the guided imagery, um, is there a desired outcome in that guided imagery? Yeah, the desired outcome is for anything that represents pain to be released from the child within, if you will, or whatever part or however you want to represent that. But somewhere it's stored inside and that needs a way out. It got stuck in there and they don't know how to get it out. So our facility, yeah. our processing is to facilitate that happening with or without the story. You know, you're right. In fact, that's why I start with the uh, assessment of symptomologies. I don't really start into the stories much at all until the pain's out. Because when the pain is out, they can talk about the stories without feeling the pain, and it just unfolds. Mm, so kind of just to boil that down, you're looking at specific symptoms and treating that specific symptom. And, for this, and this, I think, is really helpful because some people like to tell everything, but other people can't, or they find it very difficult, or I don't want to go to therapy because I don't want to rehash it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And so this could be a very safe modality for somebody who has um, a lot of anxiety or fear around actually speaking the words about whatever the thing is. Yeah, I think it's really a blessing to be able to know that we have tools that can help people through the pain without them having to relive the pain and re-traumatize re themselves. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes they do get re-traumatized in the storytelling. So, you know, if a, if a wife feels betrayed, betrayed um, by her husband's misbehaviors, um, whether it's pornography or 
affairs or whatever that is, she feels what she feels. She's carrying that. She's PTSD more or less a lot of times. And she needs to find a way to feel better herself, not in, 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 a, in, a, in as painless a way as possible. Yeah, that I could be. see that, like what you're saying. I could see that as a concern, right? Yeah. Don't, numb, don't numb me out to my feelings because they're informing me. They're telling me about the situation. Right. They're keeping me safe from a possibly dangerous situation for me. So I don't want to be numbed out of my feelings. I want to be awake. I want to be aware. Yeah, the pain's mm -hmm. incredible. So there is kind of a balance there. And maybe, uh, maybe you could speak to that resistance a little bit. Yeah, inside of the process that we start with, make sure that we absolutely honor the ecological situation meaning that if we invite the pain to be relieved based on their willingness to do that not based on my need to have them be pain-free so they get to pick and choose from within and even talk about it a little bit if they want to on the inside till they have a comfort zone that they're willing to explore that's part of the languaging i'm not giving you that's, that's embedded inside of the of the actual mm -hmm. treatment and and so everything is about honoring what's been going on being thankful to the parts for what they've done being being uh, uh, careful not to pull out the pain too early that would be unecological and ineffective and, and interrupting but i'm not i keep dialed into that and use the language that invites the process to go forward based on their willingness and their readiness. I like the way you're describing that because, you know, we know that trauma comes from a lack of choices, right? When oh, yeah. you don't have choices, that's where trauma really begins to build. But the healing from trauma is I'm able to have a choice. So even a choice and a voice and how and what and what process I use moving forward to heal is so essential to the process. So I, I, I like the way that you're describing that. Thank you. I, I do have another question, unless you do too, Doc. Um, but no I wanted way. to know what other kinds of resistance you notice or feel with this process? Well, you know, um, some of the... I call them parts. Some of the parts um, have been been hurt more than others, mm -hmm. and they have bigger um, a bigger need to protect, if you will, mm -hmm. the whole being than others. And so, um, sometimes uh, what I do let me explain how the process goes on. After the very first hour, we have a lot of shifts that go on, and people come back and they score them. The scores are better, and they're happier, they're sleeping better, and so forth. And then we kind of reset the goals and resetting the goals allows for those parts or the part within to then respond as it's ready to the next of the same flavor of release work. And I may use different tools for that, but I, I, whatever I do, I go inside and the inner mind is allowed privilege to access those parts of, or, the, or the, that place within that child within and to help to release as they're ready. And we keep that same cycle up for about eight times. After about eight sessions, usually we can test and find that their scores are way down in the zero to two range. And so it sets set the stage in motion or the, the whole process in motion for there to be a completion. And at the end, the way I look at it is whatever part or parts there are within are have grown up, they are free from the old pain, and they're ready to be um, 
if you will, from a scattered place brought back into the whole of the personality. That's how we, we model it. And so mm. when they come together, integrated into the whole personality, it's like smoke comes out their ears and they go, whoo, you know, <laughs> um, they feel so different. And then they truly are safe and likely to say, stay in a safe, um, balanced place with some maintenance tools we give to them to sustain from there on. I have a, like an 11 minute tool called the dynamic spin release. I use this sometimes as a warm up and or at any place along the way where we need what I call micro surgery. In this case, they'll, they'll usually tell me where they feel it in their body. It's anger, whatever. And then I invite them to go through the process and I'm going to just describe it really quickly. It's in, it's in my website for free for anybody who wants to try it out. Okay, let me talk. pop that website in here. It's, it's BlairCounselingAndCoaching.com. Yeah, and if they want to call for a consult, for, I'll give them a free direction on how to use it if they want. Okay, cool. So there's instructions on the website and our readers or listeners can get a free consult. They can. Say? Yeah, they can. Cool. And so what happens is um, I say, well, where do you feel that feeling? Where do you feel it? I feel the anger in my chest or my stomach or my left ear or what well, that's the right ear, sorry, right ear. But anyway, where do you feel it? And they, and they feel it there. And, they, and then I say to them, well, this may sound strange, but here we go into imagination right here. So which way, so which way does that, oh, excuse me, give me a shape and a color. When you pull it out of you, give me a shape and a color of what you have. And they'll say a red, an orange triangle or whatever they say. And they pull it out and say, now which way does that spin? Um, they'll say counterclockwise or clockwise or this way or that way. I say, great, now I want you to take that and spin it at tornado speeds or high speed washing machine speeds. And when it's finished spinning, I want you to disappear it and tell me how you did it. One boy disappeared it with a flamethrower. Another with an upside down helicopter. Just chewed it up. Some kick it to the moon. In all kinds of places, but now it's gone. And then the next thing is, give me three different feeling states. We call gifts that you'd like to feel instead of those, instead of that original feeling of anger. They breathe it in all the way through and, and sink it into their muscles and their cells throughout their whole body. And imagine that you can actually weave it into the fabric of your personality. Now take it down the timeline to when you were a young girl, a young boy, whatever. Usually before age seven, because that's where a lot of, a lot of trauma begins, but sometimes it's other places, wherever the younger you needs those three gifts, now download them into that younger you. And then I say, now take them by the hand, walk them all the way up the timeline quickly to your current body age. And when they get to the current body age, you know, they, they're looking at each other <laughs> like this. And I say, now imagine that you can just go ahead and melt that younger, now grown you into, the, into your older self. And you both then join those gifts together into one. Then the next step is, and this set, sets it in place. I want you to go into the future and imagine how these gifts will have benefited you in the hours, days, weeks, months, and years ahead. When the time's up for that, they're finished, I come back and say, okay, now, 
what happens to you when you think about that angry outburst with your husband last night? And they go, how'd you do that? And I go, it's magic. <laughs> Therapy is, right? It is it, some it, kind it, of magic. It is magic. You bet it is. <laughs> you know, I'm always surprised. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm like I told you, I was going, I'm at the end of all my schooling. I've had lots of practice now, you know, and, and seeing it start to really work and uh, the things that we learn is, it's magic, but it's also science. And it's really fascinating to me listening to you today because there are a, a bunch of different modalities that are available for reducing intense pain like this. Oh yeah. And, and it is an essential piece of being able to move forward. Cause like you said, sometimes we get stuck in those pain pockets and we can't quite figure out how to move. Doc, you got something you want to say? I see. No, well, oh. no, no. Just, just what you're saying there is when we get stuck, right? This approach, if it's guided imagery, you, you, what's interesting is when we, give language emotions a voice when they're heard it moves through us anyway that's all i wanted to add that's great no, i i love that because it reminds me of the the interview i did with rob bell many years ago where he said you know one of his phrases he said you know anything inside of us any emotion it needs to find a way out and you know so we're hearing all of these different modalities and so what i want to invite for our listeners out there is there are a bunch of different ways to find help and I want to impress that finding your way, because you're the expert of you, right? You're the expert of you. Yes, there's professionals and we know certain things, but you are the expert of you. What is healing you and move in that direction? Yeah. So um, any other thoughts before we wrap it up today? You know, I just I'm, appreciate the time, Michael, and appreciate the opportunity to have learned more about your guided imagery approach. Yeah, thank you, Michael, for sharing that with us. And again, we're just kind of wrapping up here, but I wanted to give the website again. So it's Blair, B-L-A-I-R, counselingandcoaching.com. And uh, Michael has put on there for us a free version of this guided imagery, as well as if you want a consultation for some help with it. He's offering that to you all as well. So we appreciate your time today. Yeah, I just want to say this also. You know, I really appreciate the opportunity to intersect with you, and I recognize all the good work that's going on within the organization. You're amazing outreach to a lot of people, and I just really respect and appreciate and value that. And, and, I, and it's so great to be able to share complementary different ways of approaching a very serious problem. Very yeah. serious piece of work. And that's some of the hardest work there is, is betrayal trauma. It really is. Right. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate your kind of shout out to the community because it is a really cool community of people yes. that are oh, growing yeah. together and you know, we're learning. People, yes. Yeah. Okay. All right, Love Rice family. Thanks for having us. And we'll see you next time. We'll talk to you next time. All right, see everybody. <laughs>